right, would you remain standing or stand if you're not already standing? As we read from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house, but did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and she came down and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Andy. Well, I'm going to put my glasses on, not to make a fashion statement, but so I can see all your faces. Um, if you remember, that's the line I use every time I come up here. Uh, first time, nobody laughed. Second time, got a big uproar. After the third time, I'm not going to say it again. So thanks for the message. <coughs> thanks, everybody. There's the chuckles I... I long for. So um, today, as Andy just read, we're going to be talking about a really weird story, one that makes me uncomfortable a little bit, and hopefully it makes you a little bit uncomfortable as well. Um, But as you saw this week, our world and country further descended into chaos, um, and it's clear that that we need rescue. Um, And it's no different than the world that our story takes place in uh, today. Um, but what we're going to be focusing on today is that God's redemption and his rescue is available to everybody and anyone who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can come to you and that we can sit at your feet and learn from you. Thank you that you care about us and love us regardless of um, our status regardless of the things that we can do for you. Uh, But you approach us and let us approach you with your arms wide open. So God, help us today to hear from you um, and to be encouraged and challenged by your word. Amen. Every time a a guest speaker comes up here, they talk about their intro basically is, oh, why did Josh give me this passage? It's really hard. Like he gave me the one he didn't want to do. But none of you have the passage where Jesus, sweet Jesus calls a lady a dog. So I don't want to hear about how hard your passage is anymore. But this story was clearly put here by Mark to compare the woman in this story and her approach towards Jesus with the approach of the religious leaders. Oftentimes, Jesus directly confronted the religious leaders. His interactions with people that are faithful also confront the unfaithfulness of the religious leaders. And that's what we're going to be seeing here today. This story is no different. The woman desperately approaches Jesus, and he calls her a dog. And the irony is that 
the very, very people that Jesus initially came for, they missed the point. And this non-Jewish woman with no credentials, no qualifications, she understands it very clearly. There's two unasked questions uh, that Jesus' listeners and maybe we have uh, here today. I think that they'd be reasonable to ask, and I'd like to address them now. I think that this passage helps us understand uh, answers to these questions, and it informs us about following Jesus. And so, two questions are, did Jesus come just to save the Jews? And does Jesus save based off of our good deeds? Does he save based off of merit? So, question number one, does Jesus, did he just come to save the Jews? I think that's an issue of entitlement, and we'll get back around to that in a second. Does Jesus come, did he come just to redeem the Jews? So we know from the story of, of Israel, and we know the story of the world from the Hebrew Bible, or the Old Testament, and this story begins with God creating the world, and he creates humans in his image, in his likeness. And we know that uh, what we refer to as the fall is the time that the first humans, they, they gave up their right relationship with God and gave in to their desires to be their own person, to be on their own without regard for God. They wanted to be like God and live in their own ways. And this is just the story, part of the story of Genesis 1 through 3. The rest of the Old Testament shows God's interactions with the Israelites as they go through cycles of good relationship, rebellion, judgment, and reconciliation. The Israelites and God are good. Everything's all good. Then they, they mess up. They do something stupid, dumb, sorry. And then God places judgment on them, but then he offers reconciliation to them. It's the cycle throughout the Old Testament. And because of this, the Jews, they longed and hoped for a Messiah a king who would bring full restoration to Israel and their relationship uh, with, with God. So when Jesus came around, he started doing things, he started saying things that would lead Jews, perceptive Jews, to think, hey, this might be the guy we're waiting for. This is our long-awaited king. It's kind of like if you've ever used Uber or any car ride service, uh, and your driver says ahead of time that they're driving a, a gray Honda Odyssey, and they're a pale person with a baseball cap on, when the van comes around the corner and the dude's wearing a hat and he's a pale guy, you're like, oh, that's probably my Uber driver. That makes sense. And that's kind of what this is like for the Messiah and the Jews, though some of them, a lot of them missed it. This is what you were waiting for. So Jesus instructs his disciples, this is what he does, he instructs his disciples uh, to not go to the Gentiles, but only to the Jews. This is from Matthew 10. Uh, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago in the Mark account of it where uh, Jesus was going on, was sending his, his boys on a mission trip, and he was like, hey, don't go, don't go anywhere besides to the lost sheep of Israel. Just go to our people. Also, uh, when this woman comes around in this story, Jesus' disciples say to him, send her away, for she's crying out to us. And Jesus, in Matthew, this is from Matthew 15, 24, if you don't believe me, you can go look. Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. His disciples kind of hardly feel, feel hardly at fault here. Jesus has been saying to them, hey, my mission is to the Jews. It seems like Jesus isn't really interested in people that aren't Jewish. That's, that's the kind of the context here. Jesus has repeatedly told them, Jews, Jews, Jews. However, throughout the story of the Bible, uh, and possibly with the disciples in this moment, um, the Jews were feeling entitled towards God's love. 
They felt like they deserved God's love because they were Jewish. Simple as that. Certainly the religious leaders had this. In the previous story, we hear about the religious leaders and see their interaction with Jesus as they uh, claimed people were unclean. And in general, the religious leaders thought that all Gentiles were unclean automatically because they weren't Jewish. Formed this entitlement for God's love. Of course, God came for us Jews. Why would he come for the Gentiles? We're his people. It's kind of like if the same Uber driver who just picked you up and drove you back to your house uh, then picked up your neighbor. And you're like, wait a second, you're my Uber driver. I don't want to share you. You're mine. (laughs) It's this entitlement to this Uber driver. What Jesus seems to make clear, though, uh, in the previous story and in other stories, and right here, particularly to the religious leaders, is that having a sense of entitlement over God's love or about being Jesus, that removes the favor that God has for the Jews. It removes the, the, what Jesus came for for the Jews. So you have these Jews that Jesus says he comes for, but then these Jews who don't think that they need Jesus, they're entitled to his love, and then Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. So it's then understood that um, just being Jewish doesn't grant you God's love or God's favor. The religious leader's entitlement, that's what led them in part to not be received by Jesus. Verse 25 says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So this woman approaches Jesus as a non-Jew. She knows she's not Jewish. It's not a surprise to her, but she goes to him anyways. So she must think that there's at least a chance Jesus would be willing to help somebody who's not Jewish. She bows to the feet of Jesus. She bows at his feet and begs for her daughter to be delivered from the oppression and possession of a demon. Even though she comes very humbly, Jesus basically rejects her. Why? He says it is not right for the children's food to be given to the dogs. She's not Jewish. So I think it's good to explain here uh, a little bit of what Jesus was trying to explain in this metaphor. He often used sayings, parables, different stories to explain realities of the kingdom of God, realities of why he came to earth. He used a metaphor. That's what this is. Jesus referred to the Jews as children and to the Gentiles as dogs. Obviously, this is a bit off-putting. I don't know if any of you have ever been called a dog. It's probably not the best thing in the world. I wouldn't like it. How could Jesus, who's supposed to be this really loving guy, call humans who are made in God's image dogs? There's several views about this analogy, numerous views on what this could potentially mean. Is Jesus saying that the Jews are more valuable than the Gentiles? That's one angle you could take. Is Jesus saying that he came for the Jews before the Gentiles? Is he saying that the present priority of his mission is specifically for the Jews and then to the Gentiles? It's a question of value. It's a question of priority. It's a question of chronology. I tend to lean towards the, the explanation of priority, that Jesus came 
to the Jews in the present time. His mission was for the Jews so that then they could be a light to the Gentiles as well. He didn't just come for the Jews, but he came for the whole world. The prophet Isaiah testifies to what God said about the Messiah, foreshadowing of Jesus. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to rise up, raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations. Then he goes on to say, and my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. To the nations and to the ends of the earth. It's not just Jews. The Savior King of Israel was always meant to be the Savior of the whole world, not just for Israel. God chose Israel to redeem Israel, to show his relationship to Israel, so then he could do that to the whole world as well. He used them as an example. This doesn't exclude Gentiles at all. Gentiles meaning non-Jews. This story has a lot of correlation to Peter's vision in Acts. Um, really weird, weird vision that he has. Go read it in Acts 10 and 11. But Peter recognizes that the, the Gentiles are part of God's mission and his rescue mission for the world and says, so then even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The woman's response to Jesus' parable about children and dogs is shocking. Most of us would feel very insulted, like I said, if, if you referred to as a dog. Even if this word has positive implications or connotations, you likely don't want to be called your pet. My pet recently chewed up our couch, so if you call me Samson, which is my dog's name, I would not be happy. I would think that's a, the worst insult ever. But I think it gets to uh, something a little bit deeper besides being called a name. <clears throat> what Jesus is talking about here is a priority. We certainly would not like to hear that we're not the priority of something. We live in an extreme, the way I think about it, an extreme culture of, may I speak to the manager, please? Have you ever gone to a restaurant and the person next to you, because none of you have done this, but the person next to you uh, didn't get the, the right order or something like that, and they say, uh, waitress, can I go speak to the manager, please? We want to be the priority. We want everything the way that we want it. We don't like to hear that we would eat the crumbs and not the actual meal. Yet the woman was glad to take this comparison and actually expand on it. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She doesn't even care if Jesus came first for the Jews or primarily for the Jews. She believes that her only hope in the present moment is Jesus himself. The question of who Jesus came for highlights entitlement and uh, the potential for entitlement that this woman clearly did not possess. So there's a question of, did Jesus just come for the Jews? We've answered that in saying no. But the second question is, does God redeem based on his merit? Does he rescue, does he enter into a relationship with people because somebody does good enough things? And this is a question or an issue of self-reliance. The previous story shows uh, the ignorance of the religious leaders who thought that their fierce adherence and obedience to the law is what saved them. The Pharisees were entitled because of their Jewishness. Jewishness. Say that five times fast. They felt like that they could set the terms with God. In addition, 
to feeling, uh, for some of the feel, Jews feeling entitled um, to God's love and his mercy. We know that many of the religious leaders were extremely pleased with themselves for doing all the right things, uh, for having every little detail down. Um, but Jesus, in his teaching, kind of encompassed that, oh, you forgot love and all of that. The irony is that the, the Pharisees and their adherence to the law actually proved to be self-reliant. It was their self-reliance that they didn't need anything else. The law was meant to help the Jews obey God. Yet their deep commitment to the laws themselves made them lose sight of what they, they should have focused on, their deep commitment to God himself. They had no need for Jesus in their eyes. They had already made themselves clean. Their belief was that someone who is unclean inwardly, it comes out outwardly. You'll see that they're unclean because of what they do. But Jesus rejected this in the previous passage by basically saying, no, what you see on the outside is a result of what's on the inside. Jesus was far less impressed um, with the things that the religious leaders valued. And more so, Jesus despised their self-reliance that the religious leaders had. He said, and back in Mark 2, said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. The religious leaders clearly thought that they didn't need Jesus because in their eyes they were good on their own. What's different about this woman? How is she different from the Pharisees and the other religious leaders? It's that she came to Jesus knowing uh, very clearly that she wasn't good enough. She didn't have any credentials for Jesus. She recognized her unworthiness, her lack of merit to come to Jesus to gain God's favor. Mark makes it very clear that uh, she didn't have the stereotypical personality or life that um, would be of a religious leader or somebody that could earn the favor of God in their own eyes. He said, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, most of the, the people studying this passage call this like an onslaught of disqualification. In the Jews' eyes, a woman going to this teacher, a Gentile who all the religious leaders thought were unclean, and the Syrophoenician, which is a region especially tied to paganism. She had nothing good going for her. She was the opposite of entitled, and certainly she didn't earn anything. The question of merit highlights the, the woman's utter unworthiness to even approach Jesus for his help. So, a third question is, what is required for God's redemption? It's an issue of humility. What we've already noticed from this passage is that Jesus came for the Jews and the whole world. The Gentiles are part of God's rescue mission. The passage also highlights that people can come to Jesus without being worthy of his love. What separates this woman from the Pharisees and the other religious leaders is her attitude towards Jesus. It must have been humiliating for her to go to Jesus and beg at his feet. She's a woman with nothing going for her in the world's eyes, no innate advantages, and she, again, wasn't a Jew. Try to put yourself in her shoes for a second, going to the feet of Jesus. Even though she had no reason to believe that Jesus would help her, she still went to him desperately 
So it's clear, it becomes clear in this passage that faith and humility go hand to hand. The woman's attitude is one that assumes the vulnerable position, which is actually what Jesus did on the cross. It's not one that embodied entitlement or self-reliance. She didn't think that she was owed anything or deserved anything. Rather, she was gladly willing to take second place with Jesus if that meant that she could receive him and his transforming power. This story reflects the gospel in a profound way. Jesus gave the woman everything that she did not deserve. She came to him not based on her merit, her goodness, but out of her own desperate unworthiness and his goodness. So as we think about this passage, I want to pivot to thinking about you. How do you approach Jesus? I think that this passage and this woman and how she approaches Jesus and how the religious leaders do helps us confront how we approach Jesus as well. Think about the two sides that I've already mentioned, entitlement, self-reliance. Do you find yourself approaching God from a place of entitlement like some of the Jews did? This may be displayed, the struggle may be displayed in many of us through um, an unspoken assumption that God's love removes our responsibility to respond to his love. So it kind of plays out like this. If God loves me, I don't really need to respond at all. He's going to love me regardless, right? Have you ever used God's love as a reason to not do something that he clearly wants you to do? Whether that's thinking a certain way, feeling a certain way, doing a certain action. Of course he's going to love you no matter what. I'm not saying that you have to earn your favor with God. I hope that after the past 20 minutes you would know I'm not saying that. But what I found in my life is that I do this over and over again until I become cold <laughs> towards doing much of anything for God. I use his love as an excuse for inactivity and idle uh, behavior. I'm so familiar with God because I've been in a relationship with him long enough. Many of you have been in a relationship with God longer than I've been alive. So I would imagine that you felt this way at times too, but... This entitlement can grow when we become so familiar with God and his patience that we kind of forget to uphold our end of the deal as well. You may find yourself on the other side of things, though, acting as if you can earn God's favor and love. Or if you're like me, I find myself like Tarzan swinging back and forth between the two all the time. I recognize at times my brokenness and my extreme need for Jesus just like this woman does. And I don't want to be idle anymore and presume God's love. I don't want to just presume he loves me regardless of what I do. I want to do something about that. I want to respond to God's love, knowing he's going to love me regardless. So for about a day or two, I try my best, try to be perfect in my spiritual disciplines. Um, maybe I'll try to be aware more of situations that God has me in, how he wants to use me. Maybe I even talk to somebody about Jesus. You may see where I'm going here, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I feel pretty pleased with myself. I get pretty, pretty amped up that I've done these great things for the past 36 hours. So then I forget completely that I need God. 
and I assume all of the, you know, I'm all good because of all the things that I'm doing. I swing back and forth between this idle entitlement and busy self-reliance. I wonder how many of us are like that. I think that the woman from this story teaches us a lot about working through these extremes. We've already mentioned some of what the woman was likely thinking, how she came to Jesus. But I want to highlight a few things here about what the woman embodies that can help us approach God. If you're potentially in the camp of an activity or if you feel like you have to earn your approval for God, you're self-reliant, it may be helpful this week. I'm going to try this. I've tried it in the past to take a notebook with you wherever you're walking, wherever you go, to have your, your notes app on your phone out and ready. And take time to recognize which side you're more on. When situations arise that you normally would kind of disregard God and just assume his love for you, be entitled to his love, what are some of your thoughts? Why did you think that? What conclusion did you come to? Why did you get there? If you're on the other side of things and trying to earn your favor with God, trying to get his love, maybe it's like me in the morning. I'm trying to read and pray because I think that if I don't read and pray this morning, God's going to love me less throughout the day. I could probably need to write some stuff about that and pray to God about that. So take some time this week to think about it. Let's read verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. So the first thing is, as soon as the woman heard that Jesus was near, she jumped at the opportunity to go and see him. You may be like me, in that you're very accustomed to your relationship with God, um, that you've lost the sense of urgency to actually go to him. I can do that later. God's always going to be there. I can talk to him another time. I can deal with whatever issue I'm going through later. I'd rather do something else. And while we want to be patient with God for him to work and not expecting, oh, I went to God, why isn't everything better? We don't want to expect that. We also don't want to be missing what he's trying to do. With us not doing our part by going to him, we're oftentimes missing what God wants to do in our lives. So for those of us who feel entitled to God's love, who feel idle in God's love, don't forget that you should respond to God's love with urgency, like this woman did. Another thing that this woman did, it's from verse 26. It says, Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. The woman came and recognized she had no qualifications. I would imagine that many of us are very aware of our achievements. We do live in America. We hold very tightly onto our individual achievements, the things that we think that we do really well. Yet, I know myself, so I can assume this about you guys. Um, it's not hard for me to imagine that you guys do this with your relationship with God sometimes. I know I do that as well. So how is this true with your relationship with God? The things that you do, if you greet, if you pray for two hours, if you preach, how tightly are you holding on to those things? Do you view those as prerequisites to approaching God? 
Is there any part of what Jesus says that strikes you as hard? Do you have time to listen to him? Do you think that God loves you less based on the things that you do? Or do you think he loves you more based on the things you do? Is there a reason? Is the reason that you can approach him because of your good works? This woman makes it clear that anyone can come to God regardless of their qualifications. And finally, this woman listens and responds to Jesus. She listens to the words that he says in verse 27. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then she responds to him. She interacts with what Jesus says. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Jesus' words aren't meant just to his hearers. They're not meant to just be heard. They're meant to be responded to as well. They're an invitation for us to respond to him. Is there anything that he's saying that is stopping you from coming to him? Is there anything that Jesus says that is discouraging or challenging to you that you don't really want a part of? Are you uncomfortable at all with what Jesus says? As you're interacting with God this week in the various ways that we do, I want you guys to make note of the things that make you feel uncomfortable or off-putting. And those things are there as long as you pay attention. So as I'm wrapping up, I want to leave you with uh, a specific phrase, a note on a specific phrase that Mark used here. In verse 25, he says that the woman fell down at his feet. This non-Jewish woman with no credentials, no qualifications, comes to Jesus. In Mark's story, the Gospel of Mark, the last person before this woman to fall at the feet of Jesus was Jairus, who's a synagogue leader. The religious leader whose daughter needed healing also and if, when he came to Jesus, uh, faced the potential of a completely different life after going to Jesus, that religious leader and this woman who had no credentials both came to Jesus. Mark makes note that they were both the people. The polar opposites were both the people that came to the feet of Jesus. Jew, non-Jew, religious, non-religious, self-reliant, self-deprecating, Anyone can come humbly to the feet of Jesus. God's redemption is available to all people who have faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for being with us and thank you that there's not something that we can do that would make you love us more and thank you that we don't have to come to you with our Sunday best on. We don't have to come to you um, afraid of what you'll think of us, but we can come to you humbly with faith, knowing that you want to redeem us and you want to rescue us from the brokenness and sin that we feel. Help us to think about how we interact with you this week. Are we entitled to your love? Do we feel like we can do it on our own? Show us, God, because we're oftentimes blind to things that we do. Amen.